Hey everyone, I'm Mo Shwenunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Okay, here's what we're watching on this Wednesday, October 19th. The IRS announced some good news for once for taxpayers on Tuesday, but you will need to wait a year to enjoy it. I will explain. As things look pretty iffy for Democrats, just a couple weeks before midterms, President Biden on Tuesday made his closing argument focusing on abortion. A new study was released yesterday that has a concerning link between hair straighteners and cancer. I'll also have details on the American the Saudi government has sentenced to 16 years in prison for social media posts that were critical of the regime. Later in the podcast, I'll have a bit of good news for you out of that hurricane-ravaged region down in Fort Myers, Florida. And we'll end with a great trend piece out of Japan on the record global demand for sushi chefs coming out of COVID. But let's begin with the big midterm elections for Congress. Now less than three weeks away, President Biden on Tuesday promised that the first bill he will send to Capitol Hill next year will be one that writes abortion protections into law. But that'll all depend on voters who must first elect Democrats of the House and Senate ensure they have majorities. In fact, they will need an even greater majority in the Senate to make that law a reality. This is all part of President Biden's effort to energize voters. Abortion has been a huge issue. Democrats have been pushing. They want to focus less on inflation and some of the economic woes we faced recently and see abortion as a big issue to try to propel more and more women to vote blue this November. In his speech yesterday, Biden urged people to remember how they felt in late June when the Supreme Court overturned the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case that had legalized abortion. The White House wants to ensure that this issue stays front of mind for Democratic voters as early voting has already begun in a number of states and the majority of voters will head to the polls uh, that second Tuesday in November. Now, for Biden to follow through on his pledge, Democrats would have to retain control of the House unlikely at this point. Right now, it looks like Republican advantage, though anything can happen. And they will need to pick up more seats in the Senate, which right now is an unlikely scenario. If you look at polling and current political dynamics, typically the uh, president's party loses seats in the first major midterm election after the president is elected. It happened to Clinton in 94. It happened to uh, Obama in 2010. It happened to Trump in 2018. The only president who was able to avoid that fate in modern times was George W. Bush because those midterm elections happened so quickly after 9-11. So the thought was he was able to maintain popularity that was abnormal uh, two years into his term. Abortion rights are a key motivating factor for Democrats, although if you look at most polls, the economy and inflation still rank ahead of abortion as the the most important issue for voters. By the way, one of the reasons Democrats will need extra seats in the Senate is they have to find a way to abolish the filibuster. Right now, it's a 50-50 Senate, and a couple Democrats are not into ending that rule that right now requires 60 uh, senators to get through legislation. At least 50 Democrats would have to vote to abolish that rule and then allow a simple majority to get through legislation like codifying abortion rights. And so that is why Biden effectively is begging here, please reelect your Democratic congressman and please ensure that a couple states flip uh, Republican seats and bring more Democrats into the U.S. Senate. This all comes as Biden's approval rating remains at some of the lowest levels of his presidency. A two-day national poll out of Reuters found that 40% of Americans, only 40%, approve of Biden's job performance. And that unpopularity has meant that he is not really out there campaigning right now. There's a number of Democrats in tough re-election fights who have not invited the president. Some have actually invited Jill Biden, the first lady, who happens to be more popular than President Biden, though he is expected to campaign in his uh, birth state of Pennsylvania 
Pennsylvania later this week. While the fate of the Senate is up in the air, a lot of close races that'll really come down to the wire. We might not actually know who has the majority in the Senate for a couple days after Election Day as they continue to count. Though in the House right now, as I noted, Republicans do look like they have an advantage if you look at some of the numbers. And with control of even one chamber of Congress, uh, Republicans would be able to bring Biden's legislative agenda to a halt. Staying with politics here for a second, we got a major verdict in the ongoing Steele dossier case in Virginia on Tuesday. The Steele dossier was an infamous collection of alleged Trump ties to Russia. It was a collection of rumors and some unproven assertions back during the 2016 campaign, and it has been the subject of an investigation for several years now. And so a federal jury found Igor Danchenko, he was the primary source for that dossier, uh, not guilty of four counts of lying to the FBI. The case was brought forth by a special counsel named John Durham. He has had a three and a half year investigation into this Steele dossier. This was a big issue for Donald Trump. Uh, felt like this uh, dossier of allegations against him uh, was a crime and actually promised that Durham would uncover the crime of the century if given the opportunity. And so John Durham was appointed a special counsel, has been investigating this since 2019, and so far has lost both cases that have gone to trial. This dossier, called the Steele dossier, is named after former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. He was put in charge of uh, putting together research, uh, ties, rumors, etc., trying to link Trump to Russia, uh, saying that effectively Russia was helping to conspire with the Trump campaign to defeat Hillary Clinton. The research was commissioned by an opposition research firm called Fusion GPS, paid for by the Clinton presidential campaign and the Democratic National Committee. As part of this research process, this guy, Igor Danchenko, who was found not guilty on Tuesday, was hired by Christopher Steele to contribute intelligence information. Now, Danchenko wasn't actually charged with a crime itself, but the crime of lying to the FBI. And so November of last year, prosecutors accused Danchenko of misleading FBI agents about the sources of his information. The jury, as I noted yesterday, found him not guilty. And so what this means now is that the special counsel, John Durham, who's been investigating this dossier for three and a half years uh, in hopes that some Republicans and former President Trump, hoping that he would find some crimes, he's achieved no convictions uh, for any of the major crimes both of the trials this year uh, have ended with not guilty verdicts. And it's unclear at this point what is next since a grand jury that Durham had put together is now inactive. So this could be the end of the road for the three and a half year Durham investigation. Like many things in Washington, uh, the Steele dossier appears to have been something unethical and inappropriate, but so far no crimes have been found. Now to another legal story outside of Washington we're watching on Tuesday. You might all remember the case of Kristen Smart. More than 25 years ago, she was a college student who disappeared after an off-campus party. Well, a fellow student finally, more than 25 years later, has been convicted of her murder. That fellow student is named Paul Flores. He was put on trial finally. He apparently walked her home from that party in May of 1996, uh, and she was never seen again. By the way, Flores is now 45 years old. His father, Ruben Flores, was actually also up for trial, but a separate jury on Tuesday found him not guilty of helping his son hide her body. This case dominated headlines in 1996. You might remember all of the coverage of Kristen Smart, the uh, California college student who went missing. Her body actually has still not been found all these years later. A lot of evidence came out in this trial. Friends who spoke to investigators reported that she was intoxicated back at this party in 1996 and that Paul Flores repeatedly told them that he could accompany her back to her dormitory. She needed support and shouldn't walk home alone. But given that her body was never found, the case sort of went cold for a couple decades and that 
that was until just last year when authorities described Paul Flores as a prime suspect and finally executed search warrants. Investigators used dogs trained to detect human remains and ground-penetrating radar to search his father, Ruben's home in Arroyo Grande, California. The allegation was that Ruben had helped his son, Paul, hide uh, Smart's body under their backyard deck, and so they used technology to go through soil samples. They found a six-foot-four anomaly in the ground, which once could have held a coffin, as well as some blood staining and fibers that had matched Smart's clothing. And so Paul Flores finally was taken into custody last April, was charged with murder during rape or attempted rape, and the father was arrested for being an accessory after the fact. Paul had always been a suspect in the killing, but prosecutors had never arrested him. The local sheriff acknowledged that missteps by detectives over the years uh, had been a major problem and actually credited a popular podcast about Smart's disappearance. It's called Your Own Backyard, uh, definitely worth a listen for helping unearth new information and inspiring witnesses to finally speak with authorities. It turns out that investigators had conducted dozens of searches over the last 20 years, but only recently, partially due to that podcast, had turned their attention to the father's home. Paul Flores will be sentenced on December 9th. He faces 25 years to life for the crime. Now let's head abroad here for another verdict we are watching, this one out of Saudi Arabia, and it is leading to some outrage at the highest levels of the US government. An American citizen who was arrested in Saudi Arabia and then tortured has apparently been sentenced to 16 years in prison over tweets he sent. Saad Ibrahimi Almadi is a 72-year-old retired project manager who's been living in Florida. He was arrested last November while visiting family in Saudi Arabia and was sentenced earlier this month to 16 years for tweets he sent while back in the U.S. The Associated Press is reporting this based on a conversation with Almadi's son, Ibrahim. I should note that Almadi is both a citizen of the U.S. as well as Saudi Arabia. Ibrahim, the son, says that his father was detained over what he calls 14 mild tweets sent over the past seven years here in the U.S., mostly criticizing Saudi government policies and alleged corruption. He says his father was not an activist, just simply a private citizen expressing his opinion while in the U.S., where, as we know, freedom of speech is a constitutional right. The State Department was asked about this. A spokesperson said, Quote, we have consistently and intensively raised our concerns regarding the case at senior levels of the Saudi government, both through channels in Riyadh and D.C., and we will continue to do so. This is just the latest and kind of the back and forth between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. I've been telling you about oil production. I've been telling you about a criticism that Biden has had for the Saudis. And now you have a case of a dual Saudi American citizen being put away in prison uh, for 16 years. By the way, it's pretty significant here because Saad Almadi is 72 years old. If the sentence is carried out in full, he will be 87 years old upon his release. And actually, as part of the conviction, he's barred from returning to the U.S. until he reaches the age of 104. His son said that Saudi authorities warned the family to stay quiet about the case, not involve the U.S. government. And he said his father was actually tortured after the family contacted the State Department about the case back in March. This is only the latest in a series of recent cases in which Saudis have received long jail sentences for simple social media posts that are critical of the government. A Saudi court recently sentenced a woman to 45 years in prison for allegedly, quote, damaging the country through her social media activity. There's also the case of a Saudi doctoral student who was in England uh, who was sentenced to 34 years back in Saudi Arabia for simply retweeting dissidents. 
Now to another story out of the region. This one also sort of has to do with freedom of speech here. We are hearing finally from that Iranian rock climber that many have been worried about after she competed in South Korea without her headscarf. I've been tracking this case for many of you on Instagram. The female Iranian uh, climber is named Elnaz Rakabi. She competed with her hair uncovered over the weekend at a competition in South Korea. Many have been cheering her for her bravery in doing that. Female Iranian athletes are required to cover their heads regardless of what sport they're competing in. But then following that competition, she went missing. Well, yesterday we heard from her for the first time. She claimed in an Instagram post that she competed with her head uncovered because her hijab fell off inadvertently. In the post, she continues to say that she apologizes for getting everybody worried and that she is just simply flying home to Iran after competing with her hijab accidentally off of her head. There had been growing concern about her after uh, her event at the Asian Championships in South Korea. Her friends had said they were unable to contact her uh, for a couple days there, that her phone had been confiscated. And while this Instagram post may seem genuine, it does look to many people that she made this post under duress. You know, she suddenly went missing for two days and said, oh, by the way, uh, not covering my head was a total accident. There have been other Iranian women who have competed abroad without wearing a headscarf in the past. And they have said that they came under pressure from Iranian authorities to issue similar apologies in the past. There had also been reports in the past couple of days that she was being threatened with prison time before this uh, apology suddenly appeared on Instagram. All right, back here at home, we got some news from the IRS on Tuesday. And uh, it is a rare moment where I have some good news from you, uh, sort of in regards to taxes, not that there can be anything really enjoyable about taxes, but millions of us could see a bump of sorts in our paychecks next year, thanks to new inflation adjustments to the tax code. The IRS does this annually. Much of the tax code is actually indexed to inflation. So due to the sky high inflation we're seeing, the standard deduction for married couples filing jointly in 2023 will be up 7% up $1,800 to $27,700 for a standard deduction in 2023. For single taxpayers, that standard deduction is up $900 to just under $14,000. I'm linking to a, a full chart on this in the show notes. Keep in mind, by the way, this is your income for 2023. So this is the, these are the taxes you're going to pay in April of 2024. So you won't uh, see this benefit immediately this upcoming April, but you will see this a year from April. In some cases, these inflation adjustments might mean that your top tax rate might have gone down. I'll give you an example. If say you're earning $90,000 in 2022, your top tax rate is 32%. With things being adjusted for inflation, your top tax rate next year, if you make $90,000 again, will be 24%. These annual inflation adjustments actually go back to 1981. They were actually part of Ronald Reagan's tax cuts. You can thank him for this back in 81. They went into effect in 85. Before that, uh, a period actually in the 70s when inflation was actually crazy high, brackets were not adjusted. And so that was a lesson they took in the 80s. Uh, and is now happening annually. So you will see these significant changes again uh, when you file your taxes in the spring of 2024 for 2023. Now to a story about someone who probably doesn't care that much about the tax bracket. Philanthropist Mackenzie Scott, you might know her as the ex-Mrs. Bezos, on Tuesday announced an $84.5 million donation to the Girl Scouts of America. It's the largest donation to the Girl Scouts since 1912. The funds will help the organization recover from the impact of the pandemic, which actually drove down membership. They plan to do a whole bunch with this uh, nearly $85 million. They plan to support volunteers and staff, make camp properties more resistant to the impact of climate change, improve science and technology education, 
for the Girl Scout members and to develop diversity and inclusion programming to make the Scouts more accessible. Since Mackenzie Scott's divorce with the Amazon founder Jeff Bezos back in 2019, she has since donated around $12 billion. Her donations are typically large, unrestricted grants. I mean, really incredible here. She's given away $12 billion in just about three years. Uh, her gifts have had a special focus on racial equity. She also made a $275 million gift to Planned Parenthood last year. Meanwhile, we got some news from scientists on Tuesday of a new connection between certain hair straightening products like chemical relaxers and pressing products and an increased risk of cancer in women. There has been research for the past couple years that had suggested that hair straightening chemicals are associated with an increased risk of certain hormone-related cancers like breast and ovarian cancers. And now a new study links those hair straightening products to the increased risk of uterine cancer. The study was published this week in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute. It estimates that women who frequently use hair straightening products have doubled the risk to develop uterine cancer by the age of 70. If you don't use hair straightening products, the risk appears to be about 1.6% of women, whereas if you use the hair straightening products, you have a 4% of developing uterine cancer by the age of 70. So the finding is that uterine cancer is rare, but there is a doubling of the risk with these products. The new study includes data from nearly 34,000 women in the U.S. ages 35 to 74 who completed questionnaires about their use of certain hair products, perms, dyes, relaxers, and straighteners. The big issue here with the straighteners is they contain hormone-disrupting chemicals that impact various parts of the body. Okay, now to a bit of good news. This one is out of Fort Myers, Florida, which is still rebuilding from the devastation of Hurricane Ian. There was apparently a winning Mega Millions ticket sold in Fort Myers on Friday night. And the prize was nothing to scoff at, $494 million. The Fort Myers ticket is not the only winning ticket. Another winning ticket was sold in California. The winners, though, will split the jackpot for about $247 million apiece. Florida lottery officials said this week that this win feels slightly more meaningful given uh, what took place in Fort Myers, the destruction and devastation that the city has faced and years of rebuilding ahead. As of yesterday, though, neither the winner in California nor the winner in Fort Myers has uh, stepped forward to claim the prize. In Florida, by the way, jackpot winners have 180 days from the date of the drawing to claim their prize, but only 60 days after winning to be able to claim the lump sum cash payment, which in this case, by the way, would be not too shabby, $124 million. This ticket was sold after the hurricane, by the way, so uh, hopefully that person still has it, is right now consulting their accountant, their lawyer, uh, and figuring out a way to keep all this information from various cousins, second cousins, and everyone who will come out of the woodwork when this gets announced. Okay, I want to end here with a fun piece out of Japan. I uh, saw this headline in Nikkei Asia, which uh, covers the region very well. It turns out that one of Japan's most sought-after exports these days is not its sushi, but its sushi chefs. There has been a surge in demand for great sushi and apparently authentic Japanese sushi chefs. Nikkei reports that wealthy foreigners who have not been able to travel to Japan, Japan's effectively been closed until just a couple of weeks ago, are the driving force behind restaurants launching around the world who then need well-trained sushi chefs. Apparently, Japanese sushi chefs with good foreign language abilities are often headhunted with very lucrative wages. The report quotes an agency that's based in Malaysia that connects Japanese chefs to overseas restaurants. They say that the number of sushi chef jobs, sushi chef, try to say that three times fast, that have been advertised around the world has grown 17 times in just the last two years. Apparently, there are a lot of offers in particular from Hong Kong and Singapore in the Asia region, as well as the Middle East. The number of Japanese restaurants 
response around the world has tripled in just the past eight years to just under 160,000 as of last year. Part of this has to do with the popularity of omakase style in which uh, if you go to an omakase style sushi place, you submit to whatever the chef serves, they make a decision. And at many upscale places, the customers ask whether there are authentic Japanese sushi chefs at the helm. One of the other reasons these Japanese chefs are headed abroad is higher wages. Apparently a sushi chef in Japan makes about $21,000 a year, whereas uh, overseas restaurants pay almost double that. In particular, um, in the US, they pay more than double that uh, for the average sushi chef job. So anyway, fun story to end the day. Uh, and it's uh, fascinating to see this surge in Japanese restaurants. Hadn't realized just how popular they had become triple, triple the Japanese restaurants than just eight years ago, and uh, now around the world. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Your follows, reviews, and recommendations matter. Please tell everyone you know about the show, and please make sure you have followed and reviewed Mo News on the platform you're listening to us on right now. And please leave us a review. Every review matters and helps us continue to grow the program. Thanks again for listening to the Mo News podcast.